And we are live for the first four-man episode of the Bronx Bomber Babble podcast. I'm your host, Matt Luz Luigi. And tonight, I'm with AC, Nick, and Andrew. What's going on, guys? Hello, hello, eaters. Oh, my guys. Yeah, no one wanted to talk because everyone's afraid about uh, running over each other's, you know, feet. AC, how you doing, man? What's up, guys? All rise. Aaron Judge just hit a second home run of the night. Yep, yep. Uh, regular season. I can't find my gavel. I lost my gavel. <laughs> yeah. It's too small. Where'd I put it? Uh, that's that's uh, it's another podcast. But, yeah, regular season is eight days away. I, I can't believe it. It's it's so close. Spring training winding down. Aaron Judge looks like he's getting that power back, right? Like it ever left. But yeah, there's a lot to talk about in the Yankee universe. A lot of guys getting sent down. A few guys that it was about damn time. Let's just say, uh, you know, I think we everyone knows what I'm talking about in Gallegos, and a few other guys who were a bit disappointed to see sent down. But let's start off with a bit of a, I don't want to call it strange story, but a story that you wouldn't expect to hear at this time of the year. So I believe it was a couple days ago. It was announced that the Yankees and Red Sox are nearing an agreement to play a two-game regular season series in London. And this was the interesting part to me, not in the beginning of the season, like it was when the Yankees played in Japan, I believe in 2004. Um. There, it would be in June 2019, which, in my opinion, would just mess up uh, the scheduling. It, I mean, how could that work out? Just, you know, the busy baseball season, just going to London for a two-game series. Now, it said officials for MLB and the teams didn't immediately respond to emails, so you can uh, comment. But, you know, the main thing is a lot of people were up in arms about this. A lot of people were very upset about this. Obviously, there's questions about – who would be the home team and who would be the away team in these two games. Cause you know, if one team's the home team then that's a big disadvantage, especially in a big division, a big division race that the Red Sox and Yankees will most likely be in, in 2019. But what are you guys' thoughts? I'll start with you, Nick. What do you think of the Yankees and Red Sox possibly playing two games in London in uh, June, 2019? Well, to, to first maybe answer your question about how do they do the home and away team, maybe just split them. Um, that's one what I was thinking. And just just do it that way, and then I don't know how you want to rectify that throughout the season. I'm not very uh, strongly for or against it. I think there's going to be some scheduling concerns, like you mentioned. I would assume you probably got to give them a day off before this series and a day off after, just for jet lag's sake. Because you know it's one thing when you play, you know, on the East Coast, and then say you fly to the Midwest for a game the next day. It's an entirely different thing when you're playing, like who knows? Maybe you're coming from the West Coast and have to go to London. Uh, for your next game, and that is one hell of uh, you know jet lag you're going to be experiencing there. So, my opinion on this kind of boils down to: th- Does London actually want you know an MLB game there? I know that soccer is their thing, um, or I guess I should say football. Uh, they've had NFL games there the last couple of years. Um, they haven't really sent their best team, so at least they're sending you know you know the best rivalry in baseball, the Yankees and the Red Sox, two very good teams to go play there, but. I don't know, man. I don't like I'm not hyped up by this, but again, I'm not all for it. Um, if you gave me a choice to either do it or not do it, I would I'd probably pass on it because I'm just not sure that, you know, how many people in London want to see, you know, baseball. Um, I think they're pretty content with what they got. 
So you look at the U.S. here, um, there's MLS, and, you know, they've been trying to expand it. But, you know, we, we just don't, you know, gravitate towards that here. And I just don't know if fans in London are going to gravitate towards the MLB. So, again, not really hot or cold on it, just kind of mad about it. So I don't know if you guys agree or disagree with that, but that's just my take. One thing that I think is going to play a big role is that uh, Fenway Sports Group also has ownership of uh, the Liverpool Liverpool mm-hmm. yeah, uh, soccer club. Mm-hmm. So that's actually, first off, I think the Red Sox would probably host both games. Uh, I know that's giving up two games at Fenway, uh, but I, I think that connection is the main the main attraction here. Uh, and then, of course, we know Manfred is always looking to build a brand. Um, as far as jet lag goes, uh, I, I know it's a, it's a bigger time change, but... The time on a flight to go from, let's say, JFK to San Diego or or Seattle is the same as it is to go uh, from New York to London. It's five hours, five, six hours roughly in the air. Um, I, I don't know if that's as big of a concern. Uh, I personally am interested in it. I, I think it's I, just to get a, d- a different market involved. It's not really going to affect the quality of play on the field. I, I don't know what's... You know, what, what what kind of fan fandom it's gonna it's gonna draw up there, but I I, I personally kind of like it. Yeah, I mean, I I think you guys all make good points. I think kind of like what Scott said, it it really boils down to what's the market out there. I mean, they talk about how it's a, I think it's venue seats sixty six thousand people or something like that. I mean, obviously the last thing the MLB wants is for it to look like an Oakland Athletics game in July, right? <laughs> and True. so. I think you also you kind of have to gauge from a player perspective. I mean, for it to be in June, I do find that to be a, a bit ironic. I feel like uh, in years past, uh, I think I think uh, several years ago, the Mariners and I don't remember who they opened up with played a, like first series in Japan or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I think with a situation like that, I, I think if you're going to do it at all, it makes more sense to do it. Maybe before the right before the season starts, um, or right before the other games start, maybe towards the beginning of the season, not the middle of June. To me, that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but I, I'm interested to see if, obviously, if this is something that they decide to to move forward and, and implement. Yeah, because to me, you know, like, look, for almost 99% of people who are going to watch this game or people who watch the Yankees, they're probably not going to go to these two games, even if they were at Fenway. So, you know, that's how I look at it, where, hey, whether the game's in London, whether the game's in Fenway, I'm probably going to watch it on TV anyways. And I know, obviously, there's a lot of people, because, what, the Yankees and Red Sox play each other 18 times a year. So, you know, the nine games at home is, you know, two losing one each or losing two, that's that's a big deal. But, yeah, I'm not really – I'm kind of in the same boat as uh, Nick. Like, I'm not really for or against it. Like, if they want to do it, fine. That's awesome. But if they don't, then I can live without it. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. But it is just interesting. I think that, I mean, it would be a smart marketing move for the MLB. I mean, they would probably make the whole uh, event out of it. You know, they'd probably have Judge and Stan, all those guys just tour around London and do a bunch of PR things. But, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I think it's going to happen, though, because – Usually things like this just don't come out and then don't happen. I think Rob Manfred and the MLB, uh, who I, I think we've said it before, like Rob Manfred just has such like a weird agenda. Like the things he does are just so like odd. I, like anything Rob Manfred does, like I really don't hate it. I really don't love it. It's just kind of kind of odd. But yeah, uh, we'll see if the Yankees and Red Sox wind up playing 
in London in 2019. Uh, it'll be, whatever if it does happen, it'll be a spectacle. I mean that that'd be a sight to see. But let's move on to a guy that was recently announced that he's on the 25 man roster, and that is Tyler Wade, the man that struggled mightily last year. I mean let's let's be real. Tyler Wade at the plate last year was just lost. To, like, I don't even, I'm not even going to pull up the stats, but he, he, they were bad. They were very bad. If he, I don't think he had enough at bats to qualify uh, for like a full season, you know, to be amongst the worst hitters. But because, you know, Romine had, I believe, close to 250 at bats. So he qualified, but Wade did not. But if he did, he would have been one of the worst hitters in baseball. And you know, Aaron Boone announced this week that he, he's on the 25 man roster. Uh, he's had a really good spring. He's hitting at a 300 clip for spring. Um, what do you guys think of Tyler Wade getting a roster spot? I'll start with uh, you, Andrew. I personally think that um, this is going to be a, a different tour of duty than than what we saw last year. Uh, the Yankees have always talked about Wade as the the jack of all trades, Ben Zopris type type player. They can mold to play any position, bring in any situation. What I like about Wade is that he's a really good defender at second base, and we don't know if Walker is going to be ready to go full-time uh, from, from game one. But he also is arguably the fastest player on the team, so he could be a really, really effective pinch runner late in games on days he doesn't start. Um, whether his bat will will match at the big league level, like it, like he showed at AAA last year, that's still to be determined. Uh, but he's the type of player that you have to give the opportunity to. You, you can't not, not experience – that type of talent. Uh, so it, it's going to be good. If, if he, if he flops in, in a couple of weeks, uh, then, then maybe they know what they, they have in him. Maybe he's the, the overhyped guy, kind of like what we had with Rob Snyder a couple years ago, you know, awesome in the minor leagues, never really translated. Robbie but if, if he's able to, to be an effective player, I think he can play a lot of roles uh, and be a really versatile tool for, for Aaron Boone this year. T- Tyler Wade's a guy who I-, I kid you not. I mean, if you, he reminded me so much of Jacoby Ellsbury last season. It was painful to watch. It- it's one, and and he's young. Let me just preface this by saying, I mean, he's only he's only twenty three. He's younger than most all of us. Uh, but <clears throat> you know, hitting I-, I know small sample size, but everything was soft. I-, I don't think I saw him barrel up one ball the whole season. Um, and, and again, I know small sample size, but there wasn't really anything that was encouraging. And you can talk about, well, he's looked good in spring training and everything, and that's great. Um, but I'm obviously still pretty, pretty pessimistic about the whole situation. Andrew, you talk about his speed and that's great, but how good of a base runner is he? I don't know if it was you or Matt who brought up that stat originally. I know it's spring training. He's working on a lot of things, but Obviously, and even in, in in the minor leagues, he got caught uh, quite a bit stealing base. So, I mean, at this point, I guess it, it makes sense. I mean, again, kind of going back to what I said last week, you don't really want to have Andujar on the big league roster and, you know, have him not getting at bats. So Wade makes sense. But, you know, obviously, I, I think I'd, at this point, I'd rather see Walker and, and Drury get at bats over him. Well, first off, I kind of want to address something Andrew said. I'm not going to let you disrespect uh, Brett the Jet Gardner by saying Wade is the fastest guy on the roster. I'm still going to go with uh, 34-year-old Gardner 
to take that one. But uh, also, let me tell you a story about a guy who hit, what, seven home runs last uh, year in spring training? Greg Bird, ring a bell. Um, there are eight. So, you know, you look at the regular season, you know, spring training doesn't always, you know, translate to the regular season. Um, in Tyler Wade's case, though, he's a versatile guy that I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if he starts the season. Um, Neil Walker, we just signed him and is just getting back in, you know, actual spring training games. So I wonder if Wade might not get the start at second base just to open the season. But Part of me kind of hopes that he'll take a starting spot just to kind of spite, uh, you know, Brian Cashman for, you know, I, I obviously am not too terribly high on the Neil Walker signing or the Brandon Drury trade. And I'd kind of like to see Tyler Wade carve himself out of spot and make that uh, see him a little silly. Um, you know, I think a lot of it also comes down to as well is, is Tyler Wade going to be better long term, you know, at second base than uh, Glaber Torres. That's a conversation that I think needs to be had in. You know, I would say probably not, um, but I think that Wade's role on this team, I think you're going to see it eventually become, you know, super utility guy. I think every team needs that. Um, you know, we had Ronald Torres last year, and I wouldn't necessarily describe him as a super utility guy, but a valuable guy nonetheless that can play, you know, good enough defense at multiple positions and is not terrible, you know, useless with the bat, you know, like an Austin Romine uh, type guy. So I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm, I would say I'm more optimistic for it, but at the same time, I don't have huge expectations. I still think there's a lot uh, that we need to see play out as far as who's going to be named opening day starter, and then I think we can really start to form our opinions from there. Yeah, I don't know, man. Tyler Wade, it it really – I just keep going back to the, uh, the fact that he needs to show the Yankees, he needs to show everyone that he could hit at a major league level because we've seen – how many times have we seen that where – a guy has every tool in the book where, cause that's all you hear about Tyler Wade is how, you know, he's really Tyler Wade's actually a shortstop. I, he's not going to play there a lot, but he, you know, he's a great fielder and he's got good speed and he can even play some outfield. But the main question comes down to look, can he hit? Because if he can't hit, if he's going to go eight for 60 or whatever he went, then he cannot be on this 25 man roster. And then a guy like Tyler Austin, who Tyler Austin might not be the best baseball player, but at least he's shown that, he could hit at an MLB level, and he's not going to be just absolutely awful. And so, if you don't mind ahead. me just adding one more thing, is that, look, Torres, he's not, you know, obviously he's not going to hit 400-foot home runs. His stats aren't going to jump off uh, off the sheet to you. But, I mean, he hit 290, played 108 games last year, 314 on base, and obviously that's nothing special, but certainly can hold it down in the meantime. and. From a defensive standpoint, I would think that Tyler Austin would probably be a, a defensive upgrade from Neil Walker at first base. You know what I mean? So, obviously, I, I guess only time will tell. But, I mean, Torres, only 25, really did any everything you could ask of him last season. Only committed four errors, played a lot of different positions. So, um, if, if it comes down to the two of them, obviously, I'd, I'd rather see Toe at second than, than Wade. Yeah, I mean, people really. Well, and go on, go on, Nick, go on. I think I think that with, with AC highlighting that is it goes back to, you know, ultimately was the Neil Walker signing that necessary? We have a lot of right. good middle infielders that, you know, we've talked about it. I think we have plenty of middle infielders that could theoretically hit 260 and 15, 14, 15 home runs, which is pretty much what Neil Walker is good for. Um, but now you're, you know, paying this guy, giving him a major league contract, and giving him a roster spot. So I just think it goes back to, you know, why did we need to do this when we've got a talent such as a Tyler Wade or 
of labor tours or even, you know, a decent enough, uh, you know, utility guy in Ronald Torres. So I want to throw a comp out there. And I, this is what I would think Tyler Wade would be best case scenario. I don't think Tyler Wade is this guy now, but I would think that uh, like a Ben Zobrist type would be what the Yankees uh, would want to hope for out of Tyler Wade, a guy who can play literally every position and he's not going to blow you away with the bat, but he can hit well enough to justify being in the lineup every day. I think that'd be uh, you know, a really good, you know, maybe ceiling to put on Wade as far as uh, his usefulness and talent for the team. And if I can real quick, guys, um, I, I just had to look it up. AC, you had mentioned that uh, Wade struggled stealing bases last year. Um, no, no, not last year. Up. Just just, just overall in his career. And, mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, across all levels of professional ball, uh, he has 119 stolen bases to 43 caught stealing. But last year at AAA, 26 stolen bases only caught five times. I don't think that's a concern that that he's going to be a liability on the bases. I think that's going to be a tool that he actually contributes a lot to the team. Well, what we were talking about before the show is that I believe this spring training, he's had six attempts and he's been caught four times. So that's just something that kind of caught my eye early. And he only had, uh, I believe in his time up last year, he only had two attempts and he got caught once and stole once. But obviously he was only on base like 10 times. You can't blame him for that. Yeah, that's the thing about Wade that, like, I, I don't know, that kind of discouraged me. Like AC said, he really didn't, like, square anything up. It, like, a lot of times, even if guys are struggling, you'll at least see him, you know, he, they'll be just out in front of a curveball. They'll hit a curveball 400 feet foul, or they're just, you know, they'll hit a line drive right back to the shortstop. And you see, you know, there's things that you just don't see in the box score that you see watching the game. You say, all right, this guy's going to come around. This guy's about to break out. You just didn't see that with Wade last year at all. And – yeah, there's something that I didn't like about him. I think he only walked. I'm going to look this up real quick. I, he did not walk at all last year like because he, he was struggling so much. And then he would just – I remember he would just have such bad at-bats, and he just wasn't helping himself out. So He walked five times. Yeah, that's just – you know, that's In obviously – three played appearances. Played appearances. Yeah. I mean, that's not terrible, but uh, for as much as he was struggling last year, he just didn't seem to me like he was uh, showing a good enough eye. But – Let's talk about the guys that, unlike Tyler Wade, will probably not be on the Yankees 25-man roster for quite a bit. Um, this is from straight from the Yankees PR department Twitter. Um, prior to tonight's game, the Yankees optioned infielder slash Tyler Austin, Giovanni Gallegos, Ben Heller, and Billy McKinney to AAA. The Scranton shuttle added again. Very busy making round trips. Um, what do you guys think about the recent uh, call downs? I'll start with, with Andrew. I think we were all a little surprised to see that that Austin w- was being sent down and and not uh, going to be on the twenty five man roster as the the backup first baseman. Gallegos, no surprise there. Ben Heller was an interesting option to be the the last bullpen guy, especially if they're going to go. Uh, a larger bullpen with, with Ellsbury on the DL and McKinney had a great spring, but I don't know if they see him as big league ready yet. So for me, the only real surprise there is, is Tyler Austin. Uh, and he had a really good spring. That kind of bums me out that he's not going to be given a chance. It seems like mm-hmm. he really never has. AC. Yeah. I, kind of going back to, to that last point that I, that I made, um, uh, I thought the rest of the guys may, I think Heller and, and McKinney are, are pretty close. Gallegos maybe a little further off, but I, you know, Tyler Austin's a guy that 
again, I think from a defensive standpoint, if anything, made more sense to make the 25-man roster than a, than a Tyler Wade. Um, dude's got ridiculous opposite field power, hits the ball to all fields. And, um, you know, there's obviously there was a lot of hype uh, around him when, when he came up and, you know, made his debut with, with Judge a couple years ago. Um, but like Andrew said, I, I feel like he hasn't really been given a lot of opportunities, but being that he can play for, I think they have him. Can he play the outfield a little bit too? I think they have him listed yeah, in the he outfield. He started a couple games in right field. Yeah, they have him as infielder slash outfielder in that Yankees PR tweet. Yeah. So I think out of all those guys, Austin's definitely the most disappointing. Um, but I mean, the outfield, I mean, between, you know, well, Ellsbury, you never know what you're going to get with him. So I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe we see McKinney at some point. Maybe Heller at some point, maybe in September. I don't know. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, definitely would have liked to see Tyler uh, make the 25-man roster. Well, I'll I'll echo that as well. Kind of like AC said, uh, Austin's got an inside-out swing, man, and he drives the ball to right field in a Yankee stadium. That would be such an asset. I was kind of hoping he might be able to be like a right-handed platoon complement to Greg Bird, who – unlike his, you know, fire spring last year has been anything but on fire on spring training this year. So he would have been, I, I thought, you know, maybe a good backup spot off off the bench if if Bird just started the season just still struggling and scuffling. Um, as far as uh, Ben Heller goes, he's a guy that I think, you know, everybody acknowledges has some talent. Um, he's got raw stuff. We're going to see him at some point. He's going to be, you know, coming up through the Scranton shuffle. And Billy McKinney, I was a little disappointed. Big Dong McKinney, I have dubbed him through Bronx Bomber Ball Twitter and gotten some interesting responses, but Billy McKinney hits big dongs, and uh, as spring training has proven. So uh, I was kind of hoping he'd make the roster because Clint Frazier's dealing with the concussion and Jacoby Ellsbury, uh, you know, obviously his status, you know, glass bones here. You don't know if he's going to, you know, open on the disabled list or not. I would lean towards yes. Uh, he could spend the whole season there for all we know, but – I was kind of hoping that McKinney might get, you know, a look as a as a fourth outfielder type. But I think that you're seeing the bench being scrunched because I believe I read a report today that says the Yankees are planning to go with 13 pitchers instead of 13 position players. I think a lot of big league clubs traditionally go with a 12-man pitching staff. Uh, you go with five starters and seven relievers. And so the Yankees, it's interesting because at the beginning of the season, you tend to have more off days. Um, so... My thought on it would be, well, you need less pitchers because your pitchers are going to have more rests. Um, why not keep an extra bench guy up and maybe you can kind of do an extended spring training, if you will, where you let these guys maybe play you know, in the big league games and see how they do against major league competition. So I don't think I really understand why they're going with 13 pitchers um, over 13 uh, bench players, but I think there's a good chance we'll see Heller and Austin at some point. At least I hope so because it's getting to the point with Tyler Austin. I wonder – uh, if he's going to have any future with pinstripes at all, he seems to be kind of getting overlooked here. Now, Scott, you're um, oh, Luigi, you mind if I chime in real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, you bring up a good point that typically there is a lot of off days in the beginning of the season. If you look at the Yankees' schedule this year, though, they have three off days the entire month of April. Uh, it starts off with a four-game well, series sense, right out, right out, right off the cuff in in Toronto. So they okay, that explains it. <laughs> they think they need the extra pitchers. Good point. Good point. I did not look at the schedule. I'm glad Nick brought that up with the uh, 13 pitchers. So I just wanted to list off right now the guys who are going to be uh, 12 of those pitches. You know, Massa, Sevi, Gray, CC, Gumby, Green, 
Kane, Lee, Warren, Shreve, D. Rob, Atantis, Chappie. Now, who's going to be that final 13th pitcher? Now, I think who, the three guys we put in the poll, I believe, or the four guys we put in the poll, one of them was Heller, and I, obviously that's that's not going to be it. Um, Rest of peace. R.I.P. in peace. Um, Luis Sessa. Um, <laughs> Luis, Luis, Luis Sessa sounds like, anytime I say Luis Sessa, it sounds like a virus. Like that sounds like <laughs> Like you know, we have, you got the Luis Sessa. Like, ugh. but yeah. So you got Luis Sessa. Um, and then the two last two guys are Domingo, Herman, and uh, Holder. So who do you guys want to see get that final spot? Obviously, it's not going to be Heller. Well, now that Heller's not an option, I'd say Herman right. because he's a guy that mm-hmm. is. It's kind of being looked at as maybe the next, you know big Yankees breakout bullpen uh, weapon. So I'd say he's probably got the, you know, the highest ceiling there. So why not give uh, him the shot? Um, but again, Heller would have been my pick, but I'd probably go Herman, uh, Sesa, then Holder in that order. I think the thing that you have to look at here is Herman, even though it was limited time, he got, he got some innings last year. And he, he, he did a good job. Uh, 14 innings, struck out 18 guys. He, he just, he strikes out a lot of hitters. And, and like I said, he's already, um, he's already had a little bit of experience. So I th- yeah, I mean, I think it's for me, I, I think it's gotta be Domingo. Herman's the guy I want to see too. Uh, I'm fearful of the fact that they're, they're <laughs> at least with the infield, it seems to be the trend. We want to get experience. We want to get guys who have, uh, a lot of time spent in the major leagues. Uh, Holder and Sessa have both spent a lot more time on major league rosters in their career than Herman, and that worries me that that may be the direction they go in for that reason alone. He's got an upper 90s fastball, too. You add that with the rest of the flamethrowers in our bullpen, that, that would be nice. Yeah, there's no doubt he's the best option. Yeah, I would lean towards – I would be cool with Herman or Holder. Uh, if it's Luis Sessa, I'm going to be mad. Um, but that won't be anything new. Does he have any options left? Sessa? Um, if he does, it, it has to only be like one or two because he's he's um, he's he's in the front of the bus of the Scranton shuttle. He is he's on there a lot. Yeah, my guess is if he if he doesn't, they ha- they'll have to put him on the twenty five man or lose him for nothing. The fact that Sessa's number eighty five just makes me mad. Well, the Yankees are really high on Sessa. I, I guess I just never saw. I mean, I've seen him pitch and I haven't been blown away. For what it's worth, he's a converted uh, position player uh, that converted to a pitcher, and I guess I just haven't. I haven't seen it. Um, but maybe they see something that we don't. Maybe he could, you know, kind of muster up some of that magic where you get put in the bullpen and you get better. But yeah, I, I don't know. Unfortunately, he has a reputation of being like a really touted prospect. I don't know if you guys remember, he was the centerpiece of the trade from Detroit. Uh, or excuse me, he was the, the centerpiece of the trade uh, for, for Ioannis Cespedes. The Mets gave up yeah. remember Michael Fulmer, who ended up winning rookie of the year the next year. But Sessa was the big part of that trade to Detroit to get Cespedes. Um, not hasn't obviously hasn't really panned out, but I think there's still some you know, lingering uh, of, of that high reputation. Yeah, 4.49 ERA for Sessa in his first couple of years, 106 in the third innings. Man, he's pitched 106 in the third innings for the Yankees. He's only given up 100 hits in 106 in the third innings, which actually kind of surprised me. But He walks a lot of guys. He's got control issues. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's 
I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to see who's going to be between those three guys. Go on, Nick. I was just going to say, in, in fairness, a lot of young guys have control issues. You saw it with Justice Sheffield this this year, but at some point they got to go away. At some point you got to get your control down. I understand that's that's much easier said than done, but just to kind of play devil's advocate for a second there, that's not uncommon amongst young uh, rookie pitchers or fresh green pitchers, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So before we get into the pinstripe previews for uh, tonight's show, just wanted to talk about a new segment we're going to be uh, introducing throughout the season. So, as you know, the uh, Players' Tribune, uh, run by none other than Yankee legend and uh, Marlins legend now, Derek Jeter. <laughs> um, the R2C2 podcast, if you guys don't listen to it, you really should. It's a great podcast. Ryan Rucco and CC Sabathia. Um, they just, you know, CC, they just, they just, basically two dudes talking it's cc just literally laughing at everything ruko says like they have and they, the thing that we want to do with this podcast is the fact that they have a lot of yankees on the show so anytime that whether it's guardy or judge or bird or whoever they have on the show we're just going to kind of review it and kind of talk about things they say stories they tell because the last two episodes it was a uh, guardy and judge and it was just so interesting, like hearing these dudes talk and hearing Gardy tell stories about, you know, like what him and AJ Burnett and him and all these guys from uh, the past Yankees. And, you know, it, it really just made me think about, because I know like some of you guys didn't listen to it, but it really just made me think about, the, like when Ruko was talking about this, just the path that Gardy has, you know, like that he's been on. The guy was a walk on at uh, Coastal Carolina. And now he's the longest tenured Yankee. I mean, it really is crazy to think about because I think we all remember when Gardy came up and he was just, you know, he was that little fast guy who just, you know, was really fast. And yeah, that's that's Brett Gardner. But I mean, now he's like a he's a guy that they said on the podcast, like because Ruko asked him, are you going to be, you know, going to uh, old timers day? And I said, I said to myself, damn, Gardy's going to be like at old timers day. Like, he's like that type of Yankee. Like, you know, he's been a Yankee for like a decade. So I know it's just we're we're gonna be doing that throughout the year and yeah, it's a great podcast and yeah. So guys, our uh, if I may podcast. say something real quick about the uh the, the whole Brett Gardner thing. I don't think a lot of people realize that when uh Carl Crawford was a free agent, I don't know if that was after I think it was after the two thousand ten season. Don't quote me on that. Um, but coming off the Tampa Bay Rays, like Brett Gardner coming up like he was compared uh, to, to Carl Crawford. They were saying, hey, we don't got to sign Crawford because we got Brett Gardner, who, you know, has turned out to be just a really scrappy Yankee. And uh, I think that's awesome. You saw it in the playoffs last year. And then I just want to say something about the podcast. Just want to sum it up to you in a few simple words. And that is CC Sabathia says the F word a lot. <laughs> he says the F word a lot. So not, not for the uh, not for ch- children's ears, but it is a good podcast nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because, you know, Judge and Gardy are on two guys that clearly are very reserved what they say. And, like, Gardy, the moment he heard CC drop an F-bomb, he's like, oh, we, we can say that? Like, we, we're good? And I was like, yeah, you're good. Even Ruko's dropping F-bombs. Like, it's funny, man. It's it's really funny. Um, My favorite yeah. story from that episode was the – uh, the the city field story that they that uh, Brett told I think it was the 2010 Subway Series uh, it was a Sunday night game CC was pitching at City Field so he also had to hit yeah, and run 
yeah. <laughs> Gardner went something like five for six that night, and he finished a double short of the cycle. And he only couldn't get that double because he had a flare down the left field line, and CC couldn't get his fat ass first to third. <laughs> so Gardner <laughs> had to stop it first. And then the the, the funniest part about that story they said like two weeks later. Melky, I guess at like the stadium, like I think it was at the stadium, hit for the cycle and they had like a big ceremony for him and they made like a big deal out of it. And Gardy said he was so pissed during the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that it's a, it really is. It's a great podcast. I recently started listening to it. So we're going to be doing that throughout the year. We're gonna, There's so many segments that, segment ideas that I have that, oh, they're going to be fun when I introduce. Some might be terrible. Let's Let's just be real. But let's get into the pinstripe previews. So we have a lot of new Yankees on the team. Uh, Adam Lind had some stint with the Yankees. I believe he was on the Yankees for no more than like two weeks. But a guy that the Yankees signed and is still on the Yankees and is probably going to be – or actually he might not be. Who knows? He might not be the starting second baseman open today. And that is another, none other than Neil Walker. Yes, that is right, Neil Walker. The man we recently signed, the man that is going to be staying in suites on the road in the, uh, for road trips. Uh, yeah, Neil Walker. He, I, I said this on uh, on previous pod. He's very consistent his whole career. He's been around 260, around 15 homers a year. Nothing too flashy. He's actually won a Silver Slugger Award in his career, I believe, a couple years ago. Really didn't have a great season, but hey, hitting 270 for 20-plus homers in the NL second base will get you a silver slugger award. But I think this was a move that it really was clear that Brian Cashman preferred the veteran Neil Walker over somebody like Wade or somebody like Torres or even somebody like uh, Glaber Torres uh, thinking even further down the road. So obviously I know how Nick feels about Neil Walker, but AC, what do you think? Do you think Neil Walker will have – any impact on the Yankees 2018 season or will he kind of be, I don't want, I don't want to compare him to Chris Carter, but this signing is kind of eerily similar to Chris Carter last year, even though Neil Walker didn't lead the league, it lead the NL in home runs last year. So do you think Neil Walker will have an impact on this Yankees team? So I wouldn't compare him to Chris Carter. Uh, when I think Neil Walker, I actually reminds me a lot of, Kelly Johnson in pinstripes, as much oh. as I hate to say it. Um, oh, you brought that name I, out, man. I did. Oh. I did. Um, you know, he's – the only thing that I guess somewhat made sense is that it was only $4 million. And I know there's there's some at-bat clauses in there and, and things of that nature, but we've, we've talked about it a number of times now. We've got, you know – enough depth up the middle that I don't think that it was necessary. Obviously the last thing we want is a guy to be taken at bats, unproductive at bats when we're, you know, not giving our younger guys who are the future an opportunity. Um, so do I think he's going to have a, a positive impact? Not necessarily. I think he'll be a somewhat of a, a uh, well, I, I don't know. I, I don't think he's somewhat of like a placemaker. I, I mean, I don't, a war of 1.5 last year, 14 home runs. I mean, his on-base percentage was was good, but uh, you know, this is a Yankee lineup, obviously, with a, a lot of talent. And so, I just, again, I, I don't know that that was 
that that signing really is going to have any major implications on on this season. Andrew well, or Nick, whoever whoever wants to go can go. Nick, I, take I was it. directing traffic okay. before, but I feel like we're in. A oh, good I'm sorry. But uh, no, I was just going to say, um, I feel like it is kind of like Chris Carter, just in the sense of like, wait a second, I thought we had this position covered. And then at the last second, we're going to sign a guy to to come in. And how, how much was Chris Carter again? Was it $3 million, I believe it was, for, for his contract or something like that? And now Neil Walker gets four and you, and you just saw how hard it was to unseat Chris Carter when he, you know, just he wasn't productive really at all. So I wonder, you know, how well is a Glaber Torres or maybe Miguel and Duhar going to have to hit to, to unseat um, Walker's Walker's position? And I've said it before, and I've I've said it again. You know, two sixty five average, fourteen home runs. I, who's you know? I think that a Glaber Torres, you know, Tyler Wade, Miguel and Duhar, all three of those guys in the infield could be better, both short and long term options. I think that all those guys are certainly capable of fitting. Maybe. As far as Wade goes, not in the home run department, but I think they're all capable of a 265 average in the bigs, and Andujar and Torres are, are capable of 14 home runs. So, to me, it's just ultimately unnecessary. And who knows? Maybe the guy comes into Yankee Stadium in a in a much you know a far beefier lineup than the Mets lineup, and maybe he comes in and hits 20, 25 home runs, which again in today's juice ball era might not necessarily be you know spectacular, but it wouldn't be the worst. So. You know, a lot of my argument is predicated around the fact of I'm just assuming he's going to repeat his last season. And obviously, you know, that's why you, you play the game of baseball is, you know, you either improve or get worse or maybe you do stay the same. So I guess I'm looking at it with a glass half empty uh, kind of mentality. But I mean, who knows? Maybe he does hit 20. I, I would say probably 25 home runs is a ceiling in Yankee Stadium. Uh, so we'll see if he can live up to it and hit it. First off, there's no way he's going to get 25 home runs just because he's going to have so much competition for playing time uh, with Wade and then potentially later on with Glaber Torres. Uh, the only thing I, I did want to mention, Scott, is that I, I don't know if the Chris Carter comparison is exactly the same uh, in that they had no depth whatsoever at first base last year. Bird was already out indefinitely, potentially the whole year uh, at that point when they were playing him every day. They had brought up Austin. I believe he got hurt, so he was immediately off the shelf again. And then the only other options were G-Man Choi and Rob Refsnyder. So they were they were screwed. They had to play Chris Carter because there was no one else. Uh, as far as Neil Walker this year, I think if things don't work out with him, they're very happy just eating his money and telling him to go on his merry way, uh, especially if Wade's not a complete disaster like he was last year. Uh, I, I personally like the signing. Uh, but only in that that they got him so so cheap compared to what he was worth. Uh, I know I mentioned on a previous podcast that the Yankees were looking to sign Neil Walker before they traded for Brandon Drury. And I actually read an interesting article today in, uh, I believe it was the Post, that when the Yankees traded for for Brandon Drury, Neil Walker was was like real bummed. He knew he was about to be signed by the Yankees. And then when he, when we got Drury, he just assumed that was it. That, that was That's where I wanted to go. That was my shot. It's gone now. Um, I think he, you know, gives him a chip on his shoulder to come in and just, you know, light light things up. He, he's a solid uh, defensive infielder. He'll probably play first, second, and third. And and I think his bat can hold up for even just a month or two until you know reinforcements are ready. Guys, if I can, sorry, just one more thing. And and if I'm all off, you guys feel free. Let me know. But at this point, Brandon Drury plays second base as well. Am I right? He can. I mean, yes, that's probably he'd be better at second uh, than at third, I would say. What's that? 
That's what I, I would say is probably a better option at second than third, considering we played one game at third base last year. Right. So we signed Walker, and this is just what I'm thinking. We signed Walker for $4 million. Mustaka signed for $5 million with a two-year option in Kansas City. At that point, I'm wondering if we're going to spend that amount of money to add some offense, why not do a one-year deal for a guy like Mustakas, who obviously provides a lot more offensively, stick him at third and Drury at second, if that's the thought process. Now, again, I could be all wet with that. That's just how I see it. Uh, he's a terrible defensive third yeah. baseman, and his on-base um, percentage was barely over 300. I think yeah, that's Mike Moustakis, uh, I've said I've also said this on the show before, that Mike Moustakis has a career on-base percentage of 305. And it's it's an interesting thing. Like, who would you rather have, Moustakis, Walker, or Drury? If you could just have one of those guys. I think it is interesting because, look, Moustakis, what do you pop out, 35 homers last year? Th- 38. 38. Yeah, 38. And then Yankee Stadium, that probably equates to 40. Yeah, uh, Walk, Walker and, and Drury, neither of those guys is popping out 38 homers anytime soon. Uh, they got to hit up the biogenesis lab for that. But they're going to get on base a lot more. But see, the on-base percentage may be down, but he's going to drive in way more runs than those guys. That's how I see it. But the Yankees have such a deep roster that I'd rather have have people getting on base and then let the the roster, the the lineup cycle around. I mean, Walker is realistically going to be hitting, what, eighth, ninth? So then you have Judge not too far behind him. So if you get on base, the runs will come. You see, now, Neil Walker. I'm with AC. I I would take – Go on, yeah. Go on, Nick. I I would take I would take uh, Mustakis because, like you said, I think you're looking at a uh, you know 40 home runs there there for sure, and you know that the Yankees lineup is really right-handed heavy. And I've been on the show before as saying, well, I don't think that's the biggest deal in the world, but maybe you know a Mike Mustakis would be a much better option to put you know to maybe break some of those guys up than a a Greg Bird. Um, you know, we can talk about his on-base percentage and all that, but I would say the quality of his hits would far outweigh, um, you know, the quantity of the hits you'd get from Walker or Drury. And I know we say that he was, you know, pretty bad uh, defensively, but he's been a pretty good defensive third baseman in his time. And we've seen we've seen third-base defense fluctuate. And we watched Chase Sedley, you know, however many years, uh, for the last however many years. So I don't know if it's me and they're coming at the same price. Yeah, I'm taking Mustakas every day. I, I do want to say, though, I think that Mustakas probably took some kind of a, a, a pay cut or reduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah to, to go back to, to hometown. But I, I agree with AC on this. I, I'd take Mike Mustakas over Neil Walker or Brandon Drury 100 times over. Yeah, uh, the, the Yankees probably offered Mustakas, but, you know, he probably asked for, like, above $10 million And, you know, all I could think is that, that Simpsons meme of just the guy walking in and just walking right out, you know, that's <laughs> – that's what the Yankees did when they when Mustakas said what they wanted. But you know, with Neil Walker, I don't know if he could he, if he can recapture that 2016 form he had with the Mets or the Mets he had with the Mets, where he was hitting 280, you know, 23 homers. Then it's a great. I don't think it's look, Andrew. I don't know if you want to go on record saying that he, there's no way Walker is going to hit 25 home runs if he's playing. If he plays like 130, 140 games at second base, I think he could pop out 25. That's a big if, though. Is he going to play that many games with the amount of depth that they have? I mean, who's like he, I, the only guy that I could see taking away playing time second base from him is Drury. If somebody else takes Drury's spot at third, and then it comes 
uh, Drury versus Walker for second base because I don't know. I just don't think Tyler Wade is going to be starting this year. I don't think Vlad Torres is going to be starting at second base this year, even though at one point I did. Uh, the last few weeks have kind of changed my mind, but who knows? Who knows what that happens leaves Miguel Andujar, right? I think, like you know, like I've said with Andujar, I think that he might be trade bait at this point. Sad, sad to say, because that my hot my hot take is our my hot take might be over before the season even starts. I said that Torres and Andujar were both <laughs> starting on the team by the end of the year. Now, now I don't know about that. But we'll see. There's a lot of time left. Well, that's why I said that Walker's, I would say his ceiling is 25 from runs. I didn't say it's a guarantee, but in kind of going back to Andrew, I want to address the whole Chris Carter thing one more time. I, I just meant can like. You, can you just stop before, Chris Carter up, man? Like, there's going to be a no Chris Bottoms. I, I just wanted to this say. Gonna be the, no, remember when Chris Carter, remember when we DFA'd him and then he got brought back for like however long it was? Just. Because he went that. to AAA, he got DFA. Yeah. No one wanted him. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He like we thought we got rid of him. It's like, oh nope, he's back. He's back on the roster. It was almost like seeing a ghost, like him coming back. Oh, go on, Nick. Keep talking about Chris. Oh, Carter. that's 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 fine. Let me. I know this is like this pretty much like listening to Nickelback for you is is what this must be like. <laughs> but uh, as far as uh, I was just saying that this this <laughs> this hey, it's like the bottom of the ninth, and I'm never gonna win. Uh, but that's, that's I, <laughs> right. Uh, as far as Chris Carter goes, when I was saying the Neil Walker signing was like that, we we signed Chris Carter. Um, when did it was? I believe it was uh, before the season started. Correct me if I'm wrong there. So that's all I meant as far was, as uh, we, we signed Chris Carter on Friday the 13th, I believe, it was on a rainy day. Oh wow! See, there you go. That's all I meant by like, hey, we already had a guy that we thought we had penciled in for that position. But then you look, you know, what if something does happen, you know, an unfortunate injury to, you know, a Tyler Wade, or what if Glaber goes down to the minors and all of a sudden you start scuffling and struggling? Something like that could then give way to a Chris Carter situation where you've got him, you know, Neil Walker is playing, you know, and, ha- uh, and getting more at-bats at second base uh, on a more regular basis. So I don't know, man. Like I said, I, th- I think 25 is the absolute ceiling. That is my uh, not only glass half, uh, full that is my glass like completely full take on that I don't expect it at all but uh, like Luigi's saying like if, if he gets the at-bats it's not absolutely asinine to think 25 home runs is a possibility so that's yeah. just kind of where I was going with that the real question is how do you go from 41 home runs one season to eight the next I was about to say something about Chris Carter but I caught myself um, <laughs> you said his name <laughs> when he would just swing with his eyes closed. <laughs> he would swing with his elbows. Dude, kind of looks like Greg Bird. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, Andrew. Struck a nerve. So let's go for, for Neil Walker over and under. So Because this isn't the Chris Carter pinstripe preview. It's the longest prince pinstripe preview we've done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for Neil Walker. He deserves it. But uh, for Neil Walker, over – I've been doing a lot of games because for all these guys in competition, the re- the best over and under to do for them is how many games they're going to play. So I'm just going to do it for Neil Walker too. Over and under, 100 games played this year for Neil Walker. Start with you, Nick. I'm going to go with – I don't know if this is my my head or my heart speaking here, but I'm going to go under. Um, I think, I think it, it might be close, but I think ultimately a Torres or a Andujar kind of forces the issue and whether Torres comes up 
and directly take second base from Walker or say Andujar comes up and takes third from Drury and Drury moves to second. I just I, outside of an injury or something major, I have a hard time seeing him get 100 games as the roster is right now. Andrew? Uh, I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, I'm going to say under, but my fear is uh, if something happens to Bird and they want to use Walker because he's a switch hitter, not just a pure righty or lefty at first base, then he'll get more time. Uh, the only thing, thing that could keep his, his games played down or potentially push him off the roster at some point is that Drury, if they're comparable players, Drury's under long-term team control, so it's a lot easier to cut bait with Walkers on a one-year deal. I'm going to say under, but I, I don't feel confident with that. Well, Andrew, it doesn't matter. He's a switch hitter. Remember, he's a terrible from the right side. <laughs> but all that to say, yeah, I'm going to have to go under. And I'll raise you one. I'm going to say under 80 games, too. I don't, I don't – I just – with the team we have, with the prospects we have waiting in the wings between Torres, I hate to say it, but maybe even Wade, um, Claybar, you know, September rolls around. I, I just, I don't think he, I don't think he, he plays that many games. Wow. So I'm going to be the only one that says over. I think Walker's going to play in probably around 115, 120 games. I think he's going to be his team's second baseman. I don't think why not. He's been a starting second baseman his whole career. And I think, I think he's going to stay there. I think he's more likely to. <clears throat> Playing over 100 games in Drury is. I don't know. I just see Walker as the more established, veteran, reliable guy. And I think that he will play in over 100 games. So up next in the pinstripe previews is none other than Nick's potential Cy Young candidate, Sonny Gray. Uh, so is Sonny in the Bronx. It's, you know, we got him last year. We got him last summer. And uh, that was a pretty big uh, – Yankee trade deadline trade. It was like in the final hours. We got Sonny Gray, uh, another another great deal by Brian Cashman to add add to his list. Um, Sonny wasn't exactly great last year, though. Once he was on the Yankees, uh, I don't think I've ever seen a guy get less run support than Sonny Gray got last year. Uh, I don't know what what's with it with him because even on the A's, he wasn't getting run support. Then he goes over to the Yankees and he's still not getting run support. So. There's something up last year, but his, you know, his numbers, his stat line last year was 10 and 12, 3.55 ERA, only threw in 162 in a third innings. Um, he's a guy that has a career 1.2 whip. Um, and like I said before, a lot of people are touting him as a potential Cy Young candidate, as that kind of dark horse to maybe even become the Yankees ace. Uh, he had that one great year in 15. He, he's a one-time all-star. Uh, he finished third in Cy Young voting once and was in 2015 where he was just filthy. But what do you guys – are you guys in the Nick boat that Sonny Gray is – I'm going to let AC start with this. You got in, AC, are you in the boat that Sonny Gray is going to have this just great year and he's just going to be a uh, – I'm not going to say like a completely different pitcher from what he was last year because he wasn't terrible last year, but he obviously wasn't great. So what do you think Sonny Gray is going to look like in 2018? I, I do. I, I think Sonny Gray has – a, a ton of potential. I think we got a steal in him last year. You look at coming up in Oakland, his first, uh, you know, two plus seasons had an ERA under three, obviously pitching in Oakland. You do that in New York with this lineup, you're probably going to win 20 games. Now I'm not saying he's, he's going to have a sub three ERA. Um, 
but you know, last year I know he had his struggles at times in New York, but there's also an adjustment period. I feel like that comes in when you come from an area like Oakland, you, you move to, uh, you know, the Yankees obviously being a hitters park, whereas Oakland is not even a real baseball field. Um, so I think there's an adjustment period, but I think obviously having the off season spring training, you know, if he comes in healthy, obviously 2016, he had his health issues. Um, but I think if he comes in healthy and he can give the Yankees 200 innings, I don't, I don't see why he's not statistically our, our number one or number two. I think Severino is going to have the best season out of all the guys, obviously, but I think Sonny Gray has the potential to put up uh, a better year statistically than, than even a guy like Tanaka. For me, Sonny Gray, I don't know. He's the kind of guy who his, his stats don't mimic what you'd think watching him. I mean, how many times do we put on his starts? You know, and you're just, it's painted misery at home. And you look at the end of the day, it's like, oh, two earned runs in five innings. That's not bad at all. But it just feels like it's pulling teeth all the time. Uh, one thing that I actually dug up for uh, my series preview that's going to be posted on our website in, in a couple of days with Sonny Gray shameless is plug. <laughs> shameless plug is in his time with the Yankees, he had a career high. Uh, 1.5 home run per nine rate. His career average is 0.9. Uh, additionally, his career walk rate per nine innings is 2.9, and he averaged 3.7 walks per nine. I think that's probably what, if there's any animosity on my end, that I think it's towards that, that he seemed to allow more home runs and issued more walks compared to what what you would expect. Because you look at it, he had a, a 3.55 ERA on the year, 3.72 ERA in his time at the Yankees. Those aren't by any means bad numbers, but it just seemed worse than what the stats he actually actually shows. Ultimately, I think he he's primed to have a good year. I don't know if he's going to be, you know, top five Cy Young caliber, but I think he'll be an effective three or four for us. I want to just throw out an over and under real quick. Uh, how's about two more shots AC is going to take at the Oakland A's uh, ballpark? Um, I'm just loving how he's going to town on them. But I think uh, – he kind of pretty much went over everything I wrote in my in my article. Um, again, this year after we acquired him, he wasn't necessarily bad, but you know he wasn't his good self. Um, giving up 11 home runs and walking 27 batters in 65 uh, innings pitched is kind of the the root of the evil there. But you know you look back to 2014 and, and 2015, um, like uh, Luigi mentioned to kind of open us up here. He threw 200 innings plus both those years, uh, 2014 at a 308 ERA and 2015 at a 273 ERA. So the guys put up elite numbers before in 2016 and the beginning of uh, this last season in 2017 were kind of riddled by injuries. And I think when you're coming back, uh, you know, from pretty much a season and a half off, of probably more like a season and a quarter off of injuries, and then you get traded to a new ball club, I don't think you're going to be, you know, 100% on unless you're, you know, just some robot machine at that point. So I, I think like AC was mentioning, just the adjustment period. I, I fully expect that now he's gone through spring training with the team. You know, he went through a playoff run with the team. He should be nice, you know, and comfortable and, 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 you know, really know his teammates and is comfortable with the organization. And then just getting away from those injuries, is the big thing to me, you know, being able to, to throw the ball and not have to, not have to worry about, you know, being held back by, anything you were dealing with the, the last year and a half, I think that's really going to propel him to, I wrote it down as he's going to have just under 200 strikeouts. And I'd say like a three, um, 
3.0 on the dot to like a 3.2 ERA. Somewhere in there is what I expect for him. I think he's, you know, in line for a huge year. Yeah. You know, Sonny, I, re- I really do see, because I remember Sonny Gray was always a guy that, like I always viewed as one of the up-and-coming uh, young guns in baseball. And, you know, after that 2015 year, mostly because of injuries, he kind of, you know, flailed out a bit and – I understand why a lot of people are saying that he's going to have a breakout year because the timing's right. You know, he's a couple years removed from that. Like I said, that 2015 year, and it seems like this is the first year where he's healthy and he's not really dealing with anything. He's not coming off an injury. So hopefully, hopefully he puts it together because really if, if Sonny Gray just like turns it up and doesn't even need to be, uh, like his, you know, in the top three to Cy Young voting, he could just be, you know, 3.3, six, seven innings. Cause I think, like you said, Andrew, that was the main thing with Gray last year. He really, I really feel like he didn't go really deep into games. And that's one of my uh, pet peeves when I look at starting pitchers. I hate pitchers that just aren't dogs, that don't have great stamina. And Gray's a guy that I think mostly because of injuries, he just hasn't been pitching as many innings and hasn't been pitching as much in the last couple of years. So I think it's going to be interesting to see if he could hold up for a whole year because it's been a while since he's done it. Um, Humor uh, me guys for, for a second here. Um, Cause I, I'm thinking about it. And do, do you remember like the fear that we all felt going into ALCS game four last year, we were down two one. Remember that was the one where we were down what four, nothing came back. tied. Was that the game Gray got pulled re- like really early? Like yeah, was, but but remember, yeah. we're going to that game down two one. Keiko's pitching game five. We're like, this is it. This is the season right here. Gray hasn't been great in the playoffs, and we're facing Keiko tomorrow. The season's over. Um, of course, they had the great comeback and then beat Keiko the next day. But I remember I was actually at that game thinking to myself, and anytime anyone got on base, like, oh, this is it. This is the moment. The season ends right here. You just <laughs> felt that fear. Yeah, I mean, Gray. I mean, he. I'm gonna pull up his stat line for that game, but yeah, that was because I think in the in the Cleveland game he he really struggled. He like walked four or five guys. Well, Bauer was unbelievable. Game one, great instant. Oh yeah. Well, but see, up to that point, Scott, um, the biggest game he had ever pitched in in Oakland was opening day. So I mean, you can't fault him for that. Whoa, 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 whoa! There was that ALDS game where he went toe to toe with Verlander in 2014. He won that game. 13, 13. Two, thir- 13. That was unbelievable. That game. Yeah, uh, his his uh, line for that uh, ALCS game against Houston went five innings, only gave up one hit, two runs, one earned, two walks, four strikeouts. Oh, that's right. Castro made that big error. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that wasn't on Gray. Yeah, but so, you know, uh, that's something, like, just to bring this up real quick, that's something I hope, I hope, I really do hope Boone lets starters go deeper into games because – Anytime I look at CC's stat line from game two, the ALDS, and now Gray's stat line, it just it just makes me mad. Makes me very upset. Gray threw a lot of pitches though. He'd be at hundred pitches, four and two thirds in to every start. I think that's why he was not less. It wasn't that Joe just hooked him quickly. It's just that he, he could not make it. He was throwing way too many pitches per at bat. Um, well, yeah. and it's when you have a bullpen that deep too. I think that's a lot of it. Is you can bring any you know one guy in and. Pretty much, damn near get you know three outs every single time for for that inning. You bring somebody in, so that's yeah. going to be real interesting to see how the is the bullpen almost a double edged sword in that regard. They're they're so good that they're just over relied upon. So I don't know what the right answer is. There's just something to think about. Just yeah, exactly, just something to think about. But 
So I'm going to do a little uh, different over and under for Sonny Gray. We can kind of talk about this a little further. Will Sonny Gray be in the top 10 of the AL Cy Young voting at the end of the year? Yes or no? I'll go. I'll say yes. Um, I know I'm not necessarily saying he'll win it, but when I think the top 10 pitchers in the American League, obviously, you know, Keuchel's 1-1. You got Chris Sale. Um you know, guys like that, but I don't think it's, you know, really that stacked with like top tier talent. I don't see if Sonny Gray turns in the season that I'm projecting him to have it just under, you know, 200 strikeouts and um, I'm sorry, a, a three ERA. Uh, obviously, I think Luis Severino is going to be up there, too. He, that might, you know, his biggest competition may may come from his own teammate, but I, I certainly think he could finish in the top 10. Yeah. Um... Irvin Santana finished seventh last year, and I'd take Sonny Gray over Santana any day. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to go top ten. I'm going to say no, but not because I think he's going to get bombed. I mean, think about how many pitchers there are. At minimum, there's 75 starting pitchers in the American League. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to be, by any stretch of the, the imagination, a bad pitcher. But top ten, I think, might be pushing it. Yeah, I'm also going to say no because – because it's just really, it's just ten to be one of the ten best pitchers in the American League. I don't know. I just don't think Gray has. I think he has it in him, but I just don't think it's going to happen this year for him. I think Tanaka and Sevi though will both be in the top ten of AL Cy Young voting. For for what it's worth, I know. <laughs> I know how much Nick loves that saying. Well, goodness, yeah, don't even get me started. Well, and I'll just I'll say this. I'll I'll go the, like I said the opposite. I'm not convinced that necessarily there are nine. Pitchers that are better than uh, Gray in the American League. Like I said, you got Keuchel, Sale, um, Corey Kluber, Luis Severino. So there's four. I think those are your kind of core four stud pitchers. A couple relievers always get signed votes. Well, that you know, that's a good point too. But I don't know. I just I don't see last year. Again, it was assuming Carrasco, you Verlander, and Stroman, Santana. Yeah, yeah. I think AC makes a great point though that if Irvin Santana got votes, if Gray, Gray kind of rebounds and have, has a good year. I think he'll absolutely be in the top ten for what it's worth. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, things like for what it's worth and like in my opinion. It's just like, look, I'm on a podcast. I don't need to say like, in my opinion, <laughs> even though I do it sometimes. Like, whatever I say is my opinion. Uh, but anyway, so I, I understand your pain there, Nick. But, you know, we were going to do the – Aaron Judge pinstripe preview as well, but we're gonna save that for a bigger show because I think I think he deserves a uh, a grand entrance. And you know he hit two home runs tonight, but we you know I think he deserves to be in the big preview show we're gonna do probably the night before the season starts. The real reasons because Scott couldn't find his gavel. Well, I was gonna say we need a bigger gavel. We need a bigger gavel for a bigger guy. Like I can, I can pull out my small gavel for you know a, a a Neil Walker type guy, but for Aaron Judge, dude, I gotta have the full size. I gotta go to Big Dog McKinney and ask him if he can hook me up with a gavel for what it's worth. For what? For what it's worth? F W I W. That's something about Judge. It's really because we've obviously just heard some. You know, everyone knows who Aaron Judge is by now. I mean, it really is just like what what would you guys say real quick? What's the most interesting Yankee storyline headed into the season? 
Well, to me, it's definitely the infield. I I want to see how it shapes up as far as what's going to happen with Miguel Andujar and Glaber Torres. We kind of in the last show I was on, I think we pretty much kind of got to the point where we're saying it's looking like Andujar, you know, is trade bait at this point. It's almost like the writing's on the wall. They don't want to give him a chance. So I'd be interested to see, you know, if he can tear the cover off the ball and if, you know, Drury and uh, Walker are struggling up at the bigs. Uh, the same with uh, Torres. If he's tearing the cover off the ball, what will happen there? Um, will the front office kind of get over their reluctance to play the younger guys and, and give them a chance? That would be my biggest storyline. Yeah, I, I'd say that's probably the biggest overall storyline. The, the thing that I, I think I'd say I'm most eager to see is kind of how Greg Bird does. I mean, this lineup is so stacked that really everybody should be able to feed off of those guys in the middle of the lineup. And so there's really no excuses for him. You know, he's been in, you know, he played some in 2015, obviously played a little bit last year. He's 25 now, not to say that's old or anything, but he's healthy. He's got a ridiculous lineup that he's hitting, probably going to be in the middle of the back end of that lineup. And at this point, there's just no excuses. So if he gets off to a slow start or he gets hurt again, it'll be interesting to see uh, how long of a leash he has. You know, actually, that, that's the same direction I was going to go. Um, so, so to get my own, uh, my, my different perspective here, I, I think it's got to be the the Yankees lineup with with Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton. That's all people have wanted to talk about all winter. And I think finally getting to see these guys hitting back-to-back or second and fourth or however Boone lays it out nightly uh, to see what they're able to do. You have the National League MVP and the American League runner-up for the MVP in the same lineup. I think that's got to be the biggest storyline for this team heading into the season. Yeah. I'm kind of with you, Andrew. It has to be with like with either judge or Stan. Cause you know, I'll, you could go to Naka and even guys like Sevy and how he's going to come back from his great season. But yeah, man, just, just to see how judge does by itself. Like, you know, Cause obviously Giancarlo in the lineup is going to be something else. Uh, seeing how he adjusts to the American league. Cause that's something, you know, he's been in the NL his whole career. And, you know, obviously a lot of guys, that he's going to face, he's going to have faced before, but it's going to be a big adjustment for him. But just to see how Judge does and if he could repeat, not repeat necessarily. I mean, but why not repeat? Because if he if he could go his first two seasons, 50-plus home runs, I mean, that's some, that's some legendary stuff. I mean, what he did already was legendary, hitting 53 home runs as a rookie. But, yeah, because like, like we've said before, if he – hits 260 with 38 homers and 100 RBIs. That's a huge regression, but that's still a great second year. Like, so it's really going to be something to see. Go ahead, AC. Well, and let's not overlook, I think one of the best things that could have happened for Judge was the acquisition of Stanton. I mean, with how big of a season that he had last year, imagine the pressure coming in. Okay, now I've got to, I've got to do this or maybe even do better this year. Bringing in a guy like the National League MVP who's – you know, probably the closest thing to a specimen as, as Aaron Judge is taking off so much pressure. And I just think, like you said, those two guys are going to feed off each other. It's going to take pressure off of both of them. You forget to add in a guy like Gary Sanchez. And and yeah, I think I think the Yankees are going to be a lot of fun to watch this year. Yeah, I was just going to say Gary Sanchez is probably the biggest beneficiary of all the media attention that you that Judge and, and Stan are going to garner. And we, we've joked that he's like the forgotten Yankee. Like no Yankee fan has forgotten who Gary Sanchez is. But for whatever reason, you see that that thrown around on Twitter. Gary Sanchez well, could, I, 
could just be lingering there and just go off this year. Oh, I absolutely think Gary will go off this year. I think that, like you said, he's he's getting overlooked. Um, he could, you know, he's got 40 home run power. We've talked about it before. If he plays a full season, he's got 40 home run power. I just kind of want to go back to what Luigi said. Um, my big thing is like if Judge comes out and he's, you know, 250 with, you know, 30 ish home runs, I'd consider that almost, I mean, just by a standards he set this year, I'd consider that like almost like a failure kind of thing. I, I want to see Judge hitting, you know, 40 plus bombs and you know obviously the strikeouts are going to be a part of his game so who knows with with the average i just want to see the on base percentage stay there um you know here's here's a stat for you um obviously we know jose altuve won the mvp and you know his batting average was in the 300s whatever and then we were all well aware of aaron judges you know strikeout struggles but you know who got on base more? Uh, Aaron Judge. I'll take the guy who gets on base more and hits 53 home runs. Or yeah, 53 home runs every day of the year, man. Over over Jose Altuve. Give me Aaron Judge any day. So I want to see him keep that on base percentage in line. Um, I don't think we need to worry about the uh, the power going anywhere. That that's just his frame should keep that there for him. But I want to see him. You know, maybe work on some pitch recognition, stop chasing balls out of the zone if possible. Because if he can if he can figure that out, man, you're looking at a guy who could hit 350 home runs. It's, it's like a creative player at MLB. I know it's cliche and and super like dadsy, if you will, to say that, but that's that's what it is. It's like a creative player in the show. It's nuts. Yeah. Um, but you see, like you said, Nick, I know it would be almost views of failure if Judge only hit like 30 home runs, but you have to even look like like a guy I remember, even like a guy like Jim Tomey. And obviously, I don't think I'm not sure if Tomey ever hit 53 home runs. He might have, but Tomey would have seasons where you know after a season where he'd hit 48, he would have a season where he's at 270, 35, 90 RBIs. You have those seasons as a power. I feel like power hitters are very streaky, and sometimes as a power hitter, especially like it's you see a lot of power hitters through the first two months of the season at times they'll just have like five home runs their their power is gone and they'll, they'll eventually find it but you know i really feel like judge is going to have some seasons where you know I, I think we've seen how cold judge can get and i i feel like that's going to result in some seasons where he might be north or south of 250 and south of 35 home runs but i also think he has the potential to have some seasons where he's hitting 330 340 with 60 home runs like i think he like, cause look, like we, if the home run that we've talked about before, if the home run derby was an actual uh, factor in him having that major slump post All Star break, and if he, you know, that if that th- doesn't happen, we could possibly looking at Judge hitting sixty home runs and keeping that three hundred average. Cause I think it was like what, but right before the All Star break or late June, I mean, he was at three thirty. I mean, the triple crown was looking likely at that point, so. Yeah, man, the, the potential this guy has is unbelievable. It really is. I mean, you know, the, if I have to see one more ESPN graphic of something about how big judges, you know, I'm going to puke. But he really is just a guy that big, a guy that powerful. The potential is just un- – it's just it's unimaginable. And he's in his athletic prime right now. You know, where most guys in their second year in their league, they're going to be 23, 24 years old. And – you know, they're not going to be physically fully developed yet. You know, it's almost like, oh, this guy two, three years. Wait, Judge, it's now. Judge, this is the prime of Judge Judge's career right now. You know, Aaron Judge might be a guy who only has a 10, 12-year career. And, like, the best part of it is most likely right now. Like, 280, 53 homers for anybody is probably going to be in your prime. So I'm just so excited to see Judge 
come out and see. I want to correct doing. myself real quick. I said he had 53 home runs last year. He had 52. So uh, I, I, keep, I kept, that, that's my bad because I kept saying 53. I, I was kind of going off you, but yeah, there's going to be some yeah, guy that in the comment section. That one at Seattle. That one at Yankee Stadium that on Sunday Night Baseball, that was a triple. That was clearly a home run that they they reviewed under replay. And they still somehow said, like, nope, it's ground rule double. Yeah. I think that was – was that on Derek Jeter night? No, that was early in the year uh, against the Cardinals. Okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. The one – you know you know the game that Bird hit a home run? The one time he – 800 like, feet? Like Bird <laughs> hit that ball, like, to the moon. He was like, oh, my God. Uh, here He's coming back. Yeah. All of like his hit his, distance for the year like, out in one hit. Those were, like, half his hits for, like, the first, like, two months of the season in that game. The Cardinals must have been like, damn, we, everyone else got this guy out, and we could have. But yeah, so there so. was our Aaron Judge pinstripe preview. <laughs> it happened anyways. Yeah, well, it kind of happened. We're going to do a full one on Judge, though. Um, I just I just wanted to talk about interest, most interesting storyline for each of us. But, you know, for me, it's Judge, clearly. And, yeah, something I just want to mention real quick also, something that Judge said on the – r2c2 podcast was how him and stanton now are almost picking each other's brains about how pitchers approach them and you know what are they throwing and i think that's just going to be a because look how obviously judge and stanton like i haven't watched stanton as much as judge clearly but you know the way pitchers approach them can't be all that different you know they're both freaking huge guys that really can't put anything near them so man it's Am I a jerk for picturing that as Aaron Judge going up to Giancarlo Stanton and going, I big, you big, big muscle. How you hit the ball? You hit the ball good? <laughs> yeah, Between man. protein shakes and, and bicep curls, obviously, uh, for what it's worth. <laughs> for what it's worth. The biggest guy on the Yankees before we got Stanton last year was everyone's favorite Chris Carter. Probably right? He had to have been the biggest guy oh, other than wow. Judge. CeCe. What about that one? That big too. Who D train, uh, bro? <laughs> oh, that's right. Down six eight. Yeah, that was yeah. That, yeah. Good old down. Come on, man. D train, uh, gotta ride it. So yeah, that's that's the show. Um, Dan's riding the D train. <laughs> where in the world? Where in the world is Dan? Our new segment. Um, For what it's worth, that's a new segment too. One, also a new segment. Uh, just wanted to give a quick shout out to my Knowles. Uh, actually, we recorded. I think we're Sunday. out of time. <laughs> we recorded Sunday's episode like ten minutes before my Florida State Seminoles pulled off that upset, beat Xavier, the number one seed. So shout out to FSU. We're winning the national title. Um, probably not, but made it farther than most most teams that were expected to go far. So. You guys gonna be watching? Hey, who who's the BBB writer here? That's uh, I think one of one of our guys here. I think he went to Virginia, and if I'm not mistaken, yeah. did did they lose to a 16 seed? Yes, they, yes, they did. That they confirmed that oh, happened. They oh. are the only <laughs> the only men's basketball. Say, has that happened before? Uh, it's happened in women's basketball, but in men's basketball, it, well, Virginia looked like a women's team on yeah, last week. It really didn't make a difference. Um, hopefully Ryan doesn't listen to this. If he does, can't be much worse than losing by 20 points to a 16 seed. But yeah, so that's our show. Um, man, we are we are almost a, we're a week away from Yankees baseball. We're a week away from 
damn it, I hate having to open the season in Toronto. It doesn't even feel like opening day. And it's 3.30 in the afternoon. It's such a crap time. Uh, you know, Andrew, you want to tell our uh, audience the right time. It's 3.37. Uh, ESPN is very specific about having their game at 3.37. Well, and you guys have heard the last of Andrew on this podcast, so <laughs> everybody be sure to follow him and uh, wish him well on his uh, future endeavors. Yeah. But he, when he's, he's got not no suspended. room in Eater's Nation. No, but really, I mean, oh, I just, yeah. um, I, I really, <laughs> I really do wish that, you know, I always like when the first game of the year is at Yankee Stadium. Just, just feels right. Yeah, but uh, if it gets rained out, people lose their mind, like it did in 2015, I think. Yeah, I mean, people. Either 2015 or 2016, the the first game was at home. It got rained out, and people just. Oh, they couldn't handle it. And, and and everyone said, gotta have the first game in a dome. Gotta have the first game in a dome. And now they're having it in a dome and <laughs> the trop. Find a stadium in all of MLB, the trop. Just have all the games there. You just, it's do it do it tournament style, March Madness style. Every every I, uh, set of games has to run through the trop. I mean, even <laughs> then you still wouldn't sell that place out. All roads. But it's an idea, all right? All roads lead to the trop. I mean, I wouldn't mind Ooh. opening in like Boston or Baltimore. At least, at least it's like outside in their sun. But I mean, there's a lot of snow up up north right now, so who knows? Yeah, that, that's the problem. Is that this time of year, the weather in the Northeast sucks. So you got to have it out west or somewhere that has a, a dome. Hey, it's not my fault that everyone doesn't live in Florida, right? But mm. for for the Bronx Bomber Babble podcast crew, I'm Luigi. We got AC. I, we got Andrew. I am Yeeters man, big dog McKinney fan nation. <laughs> but yeah, so we're gonna be we're gonna be doing yeah. a big preview show. Um, Andrew, any final thoughts? Yeah, uh, no, I got nothing. <laughs> I was trying to come up with something on the fly. I got absolutely nothing. It sounded like it sounded like Andrew like wanted to say something. So I'm like, Andrew, any final thoughts? And then he's just. He just he, he you know what that was a big Alex move right there, Andrew. <laughs> the kid who raises That's his bad. hand in class and he gets called on and then just and just freezes <laughs> up. Do you have an opinion on this, Alex? Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, this is where you're also on, when you're on a podcast, you you then talk about it. That's kind of how this works. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so for Matt, for Nick, for AC. For Andrew, this is the BBB. Thanks, I, you thought I was going to – I was waiting for you to say I forgot you. Uh, and that almost happened, but I didn't get him. Are we still having on Gardner next week? Guardy party? Yeah, is he, is he still coming on the show next week? Um, it's We were between Gardner, A-Rod, and Mr. October. We're just – depends on which one of them answers first. I think you got confused with Matt Graziano. Um, it's not actually Gardner. It's a guy named Matt Graziano that, that, uh, writes for us. And, uh, boy, you're going to need some kind of way to decipher his, uh, what he's saying. Um, you need some computer program to decipher his busted, busted transmissions. He'll be thrown out on the internet. Let's just say when he talks, it almost sounds like a tribute to the late, great Stephen Hawking. So when I, <laughs> I'm, I'm Matt, <laughs> Eaters, boys. Eaters. Eaters. Eaters.